Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, the Las Vegas buffet, it's always been a target for comedians, foodies, and even us locals. Of course, the concept has evolved. The days of cheap food and bland offerings have mostly been replaced by opulent displays of lobster and creme brulee, but our eating habits are still changing. So how much longer can the buffet in any form hang on? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we get the complete story with food historian Sarah Lohman. From its gambler origins through the tacky 70s through today, Sarah spills all the secrets about that frustrating wah-wah punchline, the Las Vegas Buffet. It's Thursday, October 19th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Sarah Lohman, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. Hi, David. It is thrilling, as always, to be here. Great to see you too, Sarah. <laughs> you know, there are two topics that always get all the jokes when comedians come to town, gambling and buffets. Uh, we talk about gambling plenty. Today, yep. let's talk about buffets. Yeah. What's the history of buffets in Vegas, Sarah? Oh, my gosh. So we have to take it briefly globally. If we want to go all the way back to where what are buffets? Where did they come from? I love so you. I love <laughs> we're going to I know we're going to be in the Garden of Eden and somewhere in the corner. The snake was running a table. But, well, uh, yeah, we got to give Vegas the props as far as anyone can tell, as far as I've been able to dig up so far, like the, the buffet as we know it started here in Vegas, which is huge. Right. The concept, though, comes from like at least 18th century France, where uh, up through the 19th century, there were two ways of serving, a la Française and a la Russe. A la Russe is in courses, like we sort of expect when we go to a fine dining restaurant today. A la Française was, particularly in the Middle Ages, like a style of dining where there were multiple courses, but the courses had everything. You could have like a soup, a fish, a roast, and a dessert, on the table at once. This was like for banquets for like the richest people. Everything would be displayed symmetrically. And often there were like, you know, like fancy sculptures made from sugar or something in the middle of the table too, or like really crazy serving dishes. Okay. And I think I've seen that in a lot of historical movies where, you know, mm -hmm. even Game of Thrones or whatever, you know, which is not technically history, but, you know, just these big spreads out and that it's was the origin of impressive. Right, okay. right, right. And like you'd have uh, like dishes, like there's this one uh, 17th century Italian cookbook where there's a recipe and how to serve a peacock in its feathers. And if you want 
it also tells you how to make it breathe fire too by like soaking cotton and alcohol and setting it on fire. So it was like a dress to impress, but all your food is there at once. Uh, okay, uh, I know people can't hear a jaw drop, but that was quite an image. <laughs> Wow. So to me, it has this connection with modern buffets. Like it's it's not quite like Bacchanal buffet in the contemporary doesn't have like fire breathing peacocks. But Thank it God. does have <laughs> they could. Like I feel like it would fit in with oh. like the big piles of like lobster and like the intricately, you know, arranged crustaceans and shellfish and stuff. Yeah, I just want them to stay away from our flamingos though. Come on. Oh my god, uh, fire breathing yeah. flamingos? Oof. Oh man. It would I don't fit- want it. But right I do want to know, what, what were the first buffets in Vegas then? Okay, what were they so like? the term buffet comes from this, this a la Francaise serving. Um, and it just meant like the sideboard where you'd put the food before it was actually served. But probably the concept of the modern buffet actually comes from a Swedish smorgasbord, which mm. is a meal you'd have, you'd invite friends over, all of the like courses of the meal are already laid out. But the expectation is that there's a specific order that you eat the dishes and you get up and like fill several plates. But mm-hmm. it's sort of a way for like the host to like chill. That was introduced to America during the 1939 World's Fair, which like so many foods really hit in America at World's Fairs. World's Fairs were really like the Instagram before we had social media. An idea would be presented, the whole country would come and see it, and then they'd take that concept home. So it was shortly after that in 1941 that the El Rancho opened its buffet here in Las Vegas. Okay, and just for those who aren't history buffs, uh, El Rancho is considered to be the first resort uh, on what became the fabulous Las Vegas Strip. Totally. And in 1941, sort of a mid-level employee in the middle of the night made himself a sandwich and like sat at the bar, you know, near the gaming floor. And apparently everyone that came by was like, please give us a sandwich. We're so hungry and we don't want to stop spending our money at the El Rancho. And so from that, he got this idea of like, well, what if I just put out a spread of cold cuts? And that was sort of the original one. And they opened the first official all-you-can-eat buffet in 1946. It was called the Buckaroo Buffet. And going along with Las Vegas's early Wild West theme, a lot of these mid-century buffets were called chuck wagons. Oh. Um, yeah, after this, like, we're going to, like, round up the whatevers, the cows, and, like, the chuck wagon follows. So even the fancier mid-century resorts still had chuck wagons. And these were for middle-of-the-night dining. They would open at, like, 11 p.m. or midnight and go until 6 a.m., Oh. Really to feed the like cr- like the gambling like to not a- derail the gambling train really by providing snackers so they didn't have to do that and I'm sure if they could you know bring up uh, you know a bathroom to the table they would do that as well but the food exactly. definitely they wanted to keep it flowing makes total sense. They are vibing uh, at the poker table and you right. don't want them to leave. So it's like, and you would get like an all night pass. So you could go like back and forth into the buffet as much as possible. Yeah. So Sarah, how did the buffets evolve in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s? So we go from a pile of lunch meat or whatever to this real feast. Now, what's key to them is that they were overnight uh, foods because it, it was very like, it didn't require a lot of staffing. And I've looked at a postcard of the Flamingos Buffet from the same time, the Flamingos Chuck Wagon, and uh, rather unappetizingly, they selected only pink and white food. So it's really like this piece of installation art. It's only like ham and seafood salad and like 
pickled eggs. And it, like, honestly, even oh, though those foods are yikes. individually delicious, all together, just in a pink mound, it's pretty repulsive. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. Although that image is the iconic image associated with buffets during those mm-hmm. time frames in Las Vegas is the, the chef with the big white hat uh, mm-hmm. in a carving station, slicing up some roast beef under the weird lighting that exists there to keep the heat. That was us. That was Las Vegas. So what what was the what was the buffet scene like in, in those eras? Well, of course, as we're shifting towards the 80s and 90s, of course, things go daytime. And we also become that that's like the bring your kids affordable eating. Right. Mm-hmm. So the buffets, we should say, were always uh, a financial loss for the casinos. But that wasn't their point. Um, they were there to keep gamblers gambling, which is how they made money from the 1940s, really until the turn of the 20th century. And as far as the maybe we could call it the heyday of the buffets in the 80s and 90s, I feel like, David, you could speak to that because you're one of those lifelong Las Vegans that just laments the loss of the how many dollar breakfast, David? Yeah, the 49 cent breakfast. The 49 over cent breakfast. Over at Palace Station, uh-huh. uh, which was called the Bingo Palace. But yeah, I mean, we were as as youths, especially as as poor youths, mm-hmm. uh, most of my my friends that came from uh, the same humble means that I did, and we were always looking for a bargain. Uh, I think we probably landed at the, the notorious Circus Circus Buffet. Oh, yeah. Uh, more, Still open. Yeah. Uh, Not the same price point. No, no. I mean, back then, I mean, you're just talking a couple of bucks and, you know, it was all the shit your body could hold. And if your body could hold it, then you were a man. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, God. that was uh, that was the time we would we would sometimes sneak in because we didn't have enough food or one person would pay and then we'd all jump in. Um, probably. (gasps) Yeah, I know. There's a statute of limitations, Sarah. It's okay. But Circus Circus was not great food, but it was definitely plentiful and abundant. Abundant, yes. And 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 I think that was the image of Las Vegas uh, for for a long time. That style of buffet, just a lot of food, uh, and not necessarily great, but it'll get you fed and get you back to what you're doing, and doesn't cost a lot. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. 
because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So then follow-up question for you, David. This oh, okay. has been a quiz. Oh, no, I like that you've turned the tables on me. It doesn't happen enough. <laughs> I wish I was the guest on my podcast all the time. <laughs> we Finally, we get to hear from David. You're so oh, reserved. A lot of and... people are saying, we hear enough from David. We want to hear from Sarah. But go ahead. Hit me. Hit me with your best shot. Can you name the last buffet that's opened on the Las Vegas Strip? The most recent buffet that's opened. The most recent buffet that opened. Um, I'm going to guess maybe Wicked Spoon over at Cosmo. Uh, it seems to be a recent entry into the buffet wars. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. remember when it hit, it was a really kind of a big deal. It's like the buffet is back and also super duper expensive. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So that is technically correct because Bacchanal actually has opened more recently, but that space was already a buffet. It was converted from like a Wolfgang Puck buffet to like a new, like I think a lot of things are similar with Wicked Spoon in that they're both very expensive. And as opposed to this like, you know, bargain meal, like carbo loading, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's in the name. Right. It's this idea of decadence in both of them. Wicked spoon. Like we're going to go be a little bit naughty and, you know, eat until we're stuffed. Right. right. But it's very Instagrammable. It's a it's a holistic experience. And the price point matches the quality and quantity of food you're consuming. Wow. And I don't really think of buffets when I think of getting that great Insta shot. Mm-hmm. But I am intrigued by the the price creep the over the years I, it used to be marketed to locals dollar ninety nine buffet you know mm-hmm. today the diet tomorrow the great buffet over at the old silver slipper was a very you know well worn commercial that anyone who grew up here had had seen or who lived here in that time had seen um, but now you're talking fifty two dollars minimum. Uh, Without the extra frills for adults doing Wicked Spoon on the weekends. That's a big old jump. Yeah, yeah. And my I have to shout out to my favorite contemporary buffet, which is the one at the Palms, which is not as extravagant in its offerings as Bacchanal or Wicked Spoon. But that is about the price point, 50 bucks. And I do find the the food to be really consistently delicious. But and that's like Hmm. cheap now. Right. Yeah. So here's what happened, and it it has to do with generations, David. It's boomers versus millennials, and I'm so sorry because for some reason Gen X is just, I don't know what y'all are doing. We got our memories. That's fine. (laughs) It's fine. That's that's what we, we live on nostalgia. We feed on nostalgia. We don't need buffets anymore. So boomers gamble. And so uh, a casino was willing to invest money in food that it was going to lose because it would gain that back, you know, a hundredfold on the gambling, the casino floor. Right. Millennials do not gamble. They drink. And so Vegas as a whole has shifted towards experiences. And at those experiences, you drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the era of fine dining coming into Vegas. And the the buffets are reflecting that. But like Vegas now focuses more on things like DJs and concerts and even art exhibits. Meow Wolf dumps out into a cocktail bar. So Casinos now make their money off of alcohol and want to produce experiences where people will drink. And so they have to treat the buffet both like any other dining experience in that they need to make money on it. But it, too, has to be this experience that can go on social media as well. This this dining bacchanal, right, where you're just going to roll around in the hundred and odd choices of food they've got at Bacchanal. Yeah. And Bacchanal is over at the Caesars Palace. And Mm -hmm. I'm guessing... Um, you mentioned how it, its humble origins as a lost leader just to bring people in are gone. They want to make their money now? 
They have to. They have to because millennials aren't going to turn around and yeah. spend that money on the blackjack table. I hear you. So the reason that we've seen it, the pandemic didn't kill the buffet, but it sped up its ending. Like it was viewed by many casinos as a good time to do away with it. And certainly with that 49 cent breakfast. I mean, when was the last time you had a 49 cent breakfast, David? Oh, I, I mean, even in my own home, it's 52 cents. So. <laughs> Those I days think are that gone. might be like one White Castle hamburger, if that counts. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic was kind of a, oh, I don't know, a, a palate cleanser, if you will, for a lot of food establishments. Yeah. I mean, during COVID, nobody wanted to go to a buffet and share ladles and tongs with people. Yeah. I, I actually think that's when the, the, the storied Golden Nugget buffet downtown finally gave up the ghost. Uh, in the 90s, that was sort of the go-to. You would get... Uh, on certain special days, there would be the big seafood buffet and you would get the the crab legs and the, the, the peel and eat shrimp and all that stuff. And it was like 20 bucks. Great yeah. deal. It's gone now. Um, yeah. And, and most of the station casinos, too, or they scaled back, you know. Right. Or or they've replaced it um, mm-hmm. with like massive food halls. I, I, yes. I know Durango Station is embarking upon that. Uh, Sarah, is it the end of the Las Vegas buffet? Yeah, I think it is. I think that we're going to see Bacchanal and Wicked Spoon carry on for a while, but I would be really surprised to see another buffet come back. And honestly, I think we are shifting towards food halls and they're not just replacing buffets. I think this is what we're looking at for the casino dining experience in Las Vegas for maybe another decade or two. It is, you know, we're even moving away from the fine dining options and celebrity chefs. Culture is shifting. Mm. But what a lot of people are responding to are sort of like mid-level, even regional specialties. Like it was a big deal when uh, Hattie B's Chicken from Nashville came to the food hall at the Cosmopolitan. And that also features like a David Chang establishment. There's the secret tequila bar in the back. And then there's also Shalom Y'all, which is, I didn't say that well at all. Shalom Y'all, there it is, which is vegan Mediterranean from Portland. Um, And then in Durango, Prince Street Pizza is coming in, which me being a longtime former New Yorker, I was like, whoa, like, the Prince Street Pizza. So we're seeing casino owners, they're actually like recruiting these mid-level restaurants to open up locations. And so Las Vegas has always been transportative. And right now that idea we're kind of selling is come to one casino and eat at the best, eat the best food from around the entire country. So I think this is replacing, when you look at Durango, not only did they have a food hall, but there's also Uncommons like right across the street. This is the new dining experience in Las Vegas. And it's really interesting. uh, Like Durango is definitely tapping into some of the local uh, places, too. I know Vesta Coffee's going over there. You or me sushi. I I wonder, Sarah, though, if another, I don't know, stake in the heart, uh, if you will, of the buffet might have been younger people who are more environmentally conscious. And buffets have always been, I think, seen as wasteful because there's so much food that can't be consumed by everyone. You think that had part of it or... I, th- I do think that's part of it, but I think the aesthetic of buffets changed first. Like, we stopped making wasteful food art first before, and, like, that was more of a direct display of food waste, whereas we can kind of ignore it now. And, you know, historically, again, like, pre-pandemic, a lot of that food waste would go to uh, the Las Vegas pig farm and yeah. would get converted into to pig, which would then come back and be served in the buffets, right? Circle um, of life. <laughs> circle of life. <laughs> All right. Um I wonder, though, Sarah, and maybe this is the final question, 
Mm. What do we lose when we lose buffets? Oh, I mean, it's such a great question. But in a way, David, I want to defer to you. I mean, I started coming to Vegas before I moved here back in 2008. So I've definitely had my buffet experiences. But I feel like there is something essentially Vegas about it that I I I don't feel as someone who hasn't like really grown up here. So what do you think we lose if we lose buffets? I don't know that we lose a whole lot, Sarah, other than some... (laughs) hack comedian lines. Um, This communal eating thing uh, with just, it it stopped being a locals thing a long Mm. time ago. And I think that has a lot to do with price point. I think that has a lot to do with sort of access to the strip or why you would go to the strip. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the locals casinos, you know, maybe a little less so, but um, cheap eats, right? There's so many good cheap eats elsewhere. The the food hall concept, et cetera, is kind of taken over. It's not generic cheap eats that are just sort of mass produced. I'm, I'm a little guy who doesn't eat a lot. So I pay the big price and I just take one, one dish, one, one trip to the, uh, to the food stations and I'm, I'm good. So they lick their lips when they see me. So I think they're going to miss me more than I miss them. And, you know, I'm not like a seafood person, so I, even in the present day, miss out on like the crab leg, you know, lobster feast stuff. And I feel like that is where the real bargain is right now. So, you know what? Let's just let's just hit up the food hall at Durango when it opens and see what's going on there. What a fantastic eulogy that we have just (laughs) given jointly for the buffet. It is yeah, done. It was fine. I don't have nothing to do it. No, there is something there. Okay, let's praise them. Let's say something nice. There is something deeply tied into Vegas's history. I think that it's really cool that the concept of buffets, you know, exists all across the country, and it truly did start here in the casinos. Yeah. Um, and there is something, you know, sort of wondrous, and you know, we always want people to feel like they're royalty when they come here to give yeah. them a, that illusion of wealth, and certainly walking into a space where you can have the freedom of choice of any food is pretty marvelous, like, especially when you're a kid. Yeah, you know, you're right. And I'm going to say, I will miss that prime rib cutting station. I thought yeah. it was awesome. It was it was the all the show that I needed, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then sometimes you would actually have, like, an ice sculpture next to it that somebody yeah. made. That's yeah. cool. And yeah. you don't see that so much anymore. No, you don't. You don't. It's all in the actual display of the food, like it at Bacchanal. Um, and that is pretty, like, spectacular. Um, so I think it's, it, there is, it's the nostalgia of it, but also the nostalgia of being a kid and, like, getting unleashed in a space like that and being allowed for, you know, one night, one hour to eat whatever you wanted and having all those options. There is something, like, very fun and, like, kid-like about that even as an adult. And so that will definitely be missed, I think. All right. Well, Sarah Lohman, thank you so much for coming back to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you, David. Sarah's latest book, Endangered Eating, America's Vanishing Foods, it's just come out. So be sure to check it out wherever you buy books. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, send this episode to your favorite chuck wagon buddy and then leave us a nice review while you're at it. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky.
So this is where I think the buffet can come back. Now that we're uh, getting the opportunity to license like dispensaries on the strip, attach it to a buffet. Okay, so we're not then, we're not there yet, but we are doing these dispensary lounges. Uh, exactly. Are you suggesting that the back area would be just filled of gourmet Doritos and yes. marshmallows and stuff of that nature? Munchy, munchy gourmand. Ooh, Munchy Gourmand. Well, that is the name of our lounge, obviously. Yeah, in the front, you purchase and use. And then in the back, you load up plates. So slightly higher price point, or maybe we charge per plate. But I do think that this is the way to bring buffets back in the next generation. 